World's Finest Podcast, Episode 88. James Doe, and with me as always is Michael David Sims. Hello. How goes it? It goes, you know. Just, and goes. Uh, yeah, and goes. It, just, it just keeps going, you know, work, life. Cool weather is here. Yes, yes. Oh my it's, god, it's... I'm so, and, you know, I live in Atlanta, so I have to deal with like 99 degree humidity for literally like four or five months. 300 days. <laughs> so it's been like. 70, 68-ish for the last couple days. It has been heavenly. Yeah. Yeah, it's been like 55, 60 here. We oh. did have we did have a weird day where it was like 65-ish, and then one day it just jumps up to 80. It's like, where the hell did that come from? And then it went back down to like 65, you know? It's been so nice sleeping with the windows open, just getting a nice, cool breeze. You know, the room gets nice and cold. It's like, oh, that is good stuff. Yes, yeah. and my power, I, oh, maybe my power bill won't be $250 next month. Yeah, I remember those days when uh, I still lived in a, in a house that I was renting from my mom, and, oh, God, the, the power bill in the summer and then the heating bill in the winter. I mean, I think the worst heating bill I ever had was like 350 something like that. Like, how the hell, you know, does, does that happen? And the power bill wasn't so bad. Maybe 150 175 something like that. We only get, like, two weeks of fall, so I'm enjoying it while I can. <laughs> yeah, at least here in Chicago, we get it for a little while longer than you guys would. Because, I mean, do you guys do you guys actually, like, how are your winters? They're not harsh, are they? they they're weird. I mean, it'll it'll snow maybe two or three days uh, every, every year, maybe every other year. Mm-hmm. Um but you know it can get down into the the high teens every once in a while too because I I went to a Alice in Chains concert back in February and I stood outside for two hours in like twenty three degree weather and I almost got frostbite it was so bad oh wow so I mean it can get really cold in our winters but um, you know generally it stays in the thirties and forties well I think that concludes a weather forecast podcast for the evening yes. Uh- <laughs> Al Roker, we are not. No, no. And thank God for that. Yeah. Uh, what, what else is going on before we get into the emails? My sports teams are doing well. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Last time you were all like, oh, my God, everything sucks. So I don't follow sports. What's been going on? Uh, let's see. The Falcons beat the Saints. Suck at New Orleans. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, Bra- the Braves have won two in a row, and they're in the lead in the wild card. So they might make the playoffs in a couple days here because the season and I'm actually going to the very last game of the season. Oh, good. On Sunday, so that's going to be cool. Yeah, it's uh things are going pretty well on my end. Very good. Very good. Uh yeah, let, let's just get into the messages because you know we didn't do it last time. Yeah. So, I think we have 77 to go through. Something uh, something okay. along these lines. Um do you just want to play the voicemails first? Yeah. Okay. First one up is from our friend Ian Wilson. Howdy, y'all. This is Bubba from Alabama. First time caller, long time listener. Now I have this 
pen pal from England, and he wanted me to ask y'all a question, which is, what episode of World's Finest Podcast is the Teen Titans look back? Because he was saying something like the clip montage not being done in time because he's doing a dissertation, whatever that means. He says all he really has time for is brief audio messages where the underlying joke gets old rapidly. Aw shucks, Bubba. P.S. I hate lazy stereotyping. Oh, uh, yeah, so, you know, we didn't necessarily need to play that one on the air, but I thought it was mildly <laughs> humorous. Stress mildly, Ian. Um, <laughs> but for the record, um, our Teen Titans retrospective is episode 90, and that will air on the 27th of October. So uh, that's that's going to be a tight deadline for you there, Ian. If you can't get the, get the retrospective done by then... <sighs> We're all going to be a little disappointed. I got to tell you, I really do. No, no, no. Uh, you know, deal with deal with your dissertation and all that you got to do. And if if you don't get it in on time, we'll just play it an episode or two later. You know, yeah, really, we really don't mind. They're they're so awesome. We don't mind having them delayed. Yeah, exactly. Now we have two voicemails from a fellow by the name of Matt. Hello, World's Finest Podcast. Uh, my name's Matt, longtime listener, and I'm halfway through podcast number eighty-five, and. You know, I kind of want to bring this up listening to the Starfire episode. It's just an overall thing I have with the Teen Titans series. It seems like each season at least features one Titan having a highlighted antagonist, even though the stories are around the team as a whole. It seems like each one gets their own highlighted, like this is a villain that's associated with them. You know, Slade certainly has a personal interest in Robin. We get the introduction to Chip. Terra in the next season, but you can kind of count as a Beast Boy thing, but later on we have that whole uh, Brain and Monster Mala season. We have uh, Brother Blood for Cyborg, we have Trigon for Raven, but we don't have sadly a season that Starfire has a featured season. Like, say, Alien Conqueror or something. I I think it would have been nice if they had one more season or a few episodes that would have highlighted a galactic villain or something. But I don't know. That's just the nerd in me. Well, anyway, have a nice day. Looking forward to your future podcasts. Bye-bye. Hello, World's Finest Podcast. Uh, I uh, sent a previous message, but I don't bother about that. I'm halfway through your review for in episode 87 about, about the black hole in Teen Titans. Well, just so you know, this is kind of related to an argument I had around the time of the, I think it was Danish, the Hadron Collider from a few years back. People were worried about a black hole being created from there. Well, a few facts here and there about black holes that actually would make you feel a bit more safe, strange as it may seem, one of which is in order for it to sustain the gravitational pull, pull it would have to have mass to generate the gravity needed needed for it to work. If you had an artificial catalyst for a black hole, and this is a big if, it would not sustain unless you put, like, the mass of Jupiter or the sun into it. And even if you put the mass of the sun in, that only makes it a 70% chance of working. There is a lot of chances for it to dissipate. 
conversely, uh, black holes don't exactly burn out as I forget it was uh, uh, who exactly me- mentioned it in the ep- episode. They kind of drift away way or so. I don't know of a black hole burning out yet. Let's wait a few billion years for the research search on that to be conclusive. But if they're small and artificial, then for, for every sign, for every physics reason I can say, think of, they would burn out more quickly. And, well, unless you get a physicist calling in, I think this is the best information you're going to come across. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, that was something, uh, I should say, speaking of star, Starfire, that was something I kind of noticed, too. It, it would have been cool, but I, I don't think the show overall was hurt because she didn't have that foe. Yeah, I, really what it boils down to is her foe was was just her sister. Yeah, and I don't think you could have made her a season-long foe because no. Blackfire is good in very small doses. Um, as for the second voicemail uh, about the black holes, I know we have an email about that, so why don't we uh, read that email here, and then we'll t- just talk about the black holes in general. Yeah, the email is from a fellow named Joshua who writes, uh, just thought I would answer your question on whether or not Beast Boy shutting down the black hole generator would cause the black hole to disappear. I should start off by saying I'm not a physicist. I am, however, interested in science on an amateur level. Level. I read... Uh, I read Scientific American every month, and for fun, I listen to the audiobooks of A Briefer History of Time and the Universe in a Nutshell, both by Stephen Hawking. Take my hobbyist knowledge of the subject for what you will. Simply put, James, no, a black hole is not self-sustaining. Black holes actually lose mass and eventually fade into nothing. Stephen Hawking called it evaporating. What makes black holes appear self-sustaining is that they are taking in mass, which makes them grow. However, if they're not taking in enough mass to counter the quote-unquote evaporation effect, they will fade out of existence. We have empirical proof of this. The Large Hadron Collider in Europe has actually been creating black holes right here on Earth since September of 2008, and the Earth hasn't collapsed in on itself. This is because the black holes, more accurately called singularities, are microscopic, creating uh, created by accelerating atoms to near-light speed. If you're wondering, the critical mass necessary to overcome the evaporation effect and make the black hole start consuming matter instead of disappearing is about the mass of a good-sized mountain. If a black hole of that size were created here on Earth, it would begin consuming all matter within gravitational range, which would cause its mass and gravitational force to increase, creating a positive feedback loop causing the Earth to collapse to an extremely small size, crushing all life to death in the process. You needn't worry about this, though, as we currently have no way of accelerating a mountain's worth of mass to near-light speed. So all this is to say that unless the black hole Beast Boy was trying to shut down was at least the size of a large mountain, it would wink out of existence within seconds of its power source being cut off. I hope this has been helpful and uh, clear enough to make sense. Thanks, guys. I'll send you my thoughts on your latest podcast when I get a chance. Thank you very much. I love emails like that. Yeah, thank you, both of you, for... uh calling in and writing in. Next one is from Tony, who writes, I just wanted to clarify something. When I asked you guys for your thoughts on the Clone Wars, I only put the word completely in bold to emphasize that I'd like a bit more detail than just hearing you guys say it's great or it sucks. I was kind of hoping for your thoughts on some of the episodes, the overall look and quality of the show, what you thought of some of the characters. Uh, I was not trying to recommend a Clone Wars podcast, though since you mentioned it, it does seem like a cool idea. (laughs) Um, see, that's the thing. I couldn't tell you a single character's name other than, you know, Anakin. Yeah. Um, and Obi-Wan, but, and of course Yoda. But, um, 
really, I just, what I was saying is what little I've seen of this show I really liked. I thought the animation was really cool. They, it, they've done a great job on it. And I think it's probably a, a really strong series because George Lucas doesn't really have much of a hand in it. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, I, you know, I, too, haven't seen much of any of the Star Wars spinoff material. Um, you know, I've read the books, not all of them, but a good chunk of them. I used to read the comics for a while, but when it comes to the TV shows, no, I've just never really paid too much attention. But, yeah, the, the few episodes I've seen here, here and there were pretty entertaining. I'm just, yeah, I'm sorry we can't give you a more uh, thorough, um, you know, Analysis, I guess. Analysis, yeah, thank you, of the the program. Yeah, sorry. During your review of the end, you mentioned some of the excellent exchanges that happened between the Titans and their evil counterparts, but there was one that you forgot. When Cyborg is being beaten by his evil side, evil Cyborg says the following line, Go ahead, run crying home to Mommy. Oh, that's right, you don't have a Mommy. Mm. Ouch, yeah. Yeah. Definitely a good one. Uh, There was another great line in the prophecy that deserves some recognition, too. While Slade is beating the crap out of Robin... He at one point stops and says, you know, I actually enjoy working for someone else. It lets me be more hands-on. What I love about that line is that it clearly references that the character was indeed the world's greatest assassin in the comic books, whereas in the show, not only did the creators change his name, but also his entire motivation and what type of villain he's meant to be going from an assassin to a megalomaniac. And in speaking of Slade, is the version of the character seen in the show meant to be younger than he is in the comics? I only ask this because I'm not sure I can see Ron Perlman's voice coming out of the older, unmasked Deathstroke from the comic books. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, Ron Perlman's like 60 years old, or something like that. So, I, you know, I buy him being the older, white-haired Slade. I, I absolutely do. I, I don't think he's supposed to be like 30 or anything like that. But they give no indication one way or the other. But I buy it. What about you? Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and speaking of Perlman, I, I really, really need to start watching Sons of Anarchy on mm-hmm. FX because yeah. he's apparently a, a big part of that show. Yeah. And my roommates swear by the awesomeness of the show in general. So I really need to start watching that show. All right. Uh, next one is from Aaron, who writes, Here are the reasons why Superman's Super Punch and Destroyer d- really uh, doesn't bother me. One, Superman has X-ray vision, telescopic vision, and super speed. He could very easily scan those buildings to spot any people still inside, thus ensuring no one was harmed. Two, as James point out, uh, pointed out, Apocalypse was invading, and it's very likely those tall buildings were evacuated. This is a post-9-11 world, after all. Also, aside from the employees of the Daily Planet, who have been known to adamantly refuse to leave their jobs during crises, almost no one is shown to be in Metropolis whatsoever. The few people on the street might have actually been the planet's employees fleeing from the destroyed building. And number three, even if the above two were not true, you have to weigh the final choices. Either Superman suddenly stopped caring about human life, or no human life was actually in danger. Which do you think is actually more likely? Yes, they could have shown that the towers were were empty before Superman punched Darkseid through them, but why break the story's pacing and take time to do that in such an, uh, an already packed episode? Honestly, I don't think it matters. And if they had shown people in the buildings, I'd agree that it's a problem. But since they didn't, we have to choose to assume that either that Superman turned evil or that he didn't. I choose the latter. Okay, even if there weren't anybody in any of those buildings, not a single soul that could have been hurt by Darkseid's massive body being super-punched through like half a dozen buildings... There's still people on the street running for their lives. You yourself just said that. They're, they're evacuating the buildings. 
So all that rubble that's coming down is going to be landing on them, and considering all the superheroes are sort of preoccupied with the apocalyptic forces, they're, they're not stopping the rubble from crushing these people. When Superman did that, point blank, he killed people. People died when he decided to show off to Darkseid. That's all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> Next one is from Still Ross. a good episode, though. I'm just saying he killed people. That's all. <laughs> uh, super dickery. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Next one's from Ross. Who writes, hi, Jim and Mike. Been hearing a lot of talk now with the whole BTAS being in continuity, and I believe that I have a, th- a good theory. Uh, so maybe you can hear me out and let me know what you think. Now, you may want to take into consideration the time frame of Superman, the animated series, and Gotham Knights, but otherwise, I think this may work out. In the Batman comics, I believe there was an event called No Man's Land where a massive earthquake tore through Gotham City. Yes. And it was Lex Luthor as the president who helped repair the city. A more modern look was brought into the comics. However, it still retained a slight gothic style. Some places were just restored instead of completely remade. So if this event took place in the comics, is there a chance that it may have also taken place at some stage in the DCAU, just off screen, of course? don't know if this helps at all with the 1940s-inspired look of BTS compared to the other DCAU tunes, but I sure hope it helps. Thanks, guys, and keep up the amazing job. I, mean, I think it's a good idea, but it doesn't necessarily explain, you know, like the black and white TVs and such and, and all this and that. I keep going back to the football players with the leather yeah. helmets. Yeah. yeah, you know, like I said, it's I see what you're going for, but that would mean that, like, Oh, we have to keep the football team going. Oh, no, we lost all our pads in the earthquake. Yeah, but we have those pads from the 40s laying around, you know? <laughs> Doesn't quite work. <laughs> New. Yeah, I, I really just think it's just, you know, okay, look. When they started Batman the Animated Series, they were very much going for the old school Max Fleischer Superman look. Um, th- this is, th- that's, that's documented. There's, there's no disputing that. And they didn't intend for it to become this grander universe. It just happened. So, you know, we just really have to accept that Gotham is just weird. It's just different. Um, even once it was updated for Gotham Knights, it's still weird and different. I mean, it's just Gotham City. Um, it just has completely different sensibilities. Uh, so, you know, when I started this, when I accidentally started this whole BTAS isn't in continuity thing, I, <laughs> you know? boy, you opened up a can of worms. I know. I really didn't mean to start this. <laughs> I appreciate people writing in and coming up with their theories. I think it's great. Um, no, it really just, again, just boils down to the fact that they didn't know it was going to have this greater continuity. It does provide, uh, or it does, uh, cause a slight problem, um, overall, but it's such a good show. You just kind of look past it and say, yeah, it's in continuity because it started the continuity. Next one is from Adonis. Writes, hey, guys, I really enjoyed your review of the end. Of course, I'm a little surprised that you both didn't give perfect scores, but you had your reasons. Well, reason. Anyway, something crossed my mind as I was watching Teen Titans. It's more than implied that Robin and Starfire have some sort of romantic interest in one another. But back in uh, BTAS, Robin was dating Batgirl. So what's going on here? Is Robin cheating on Batgirl, or does Teen Titans happen before Batgirl was introduced in the original series? And I don't mean to bring up more continuity issues, <laughs> but I was, but I was just curious if, in fact, this is happening while Batgirl was helping Batman. Then do you think any romantic interest between Robin and Starfire is wrong? No, as we've always said, Teen Titans has to take place during one of two points in the DCAU. It's either it either takes place. After old wounds, but that doesn't make sense because Robin Dick had just graduated college, so he's clearly no longer a teenager. 
So it has to take place before Batman the Animated Series, which then would mean that Batgirl is, isn't even a superhero yet. No one's even thought of it yet. You know, Barbara Gordon is still, you know, she's supposed to be a couple of years older than Dick Grayson. So she herself is probably, you know, I don't know, just ending high school at that point. So, yeah, there's there's no cheating going on or anything like that. It just means that Dick was with Starfire. Something happened. They broke up. I mean, that's how it happened in the comics. That You know, they, they obviously aren't still together. And uh, BTAS starts at that point, and uh, he and Barbara have some sort of relationship from there. That's all. Uh, next question is a spoiler for people who haven't finished Teen Titans, so I apologize. In the end, when Slade gets his soul back, we see many other souls leaving as well. Is it possible that Tara's soul is returned as well, and that's why we get the series finale episode? I never thought about this before, but when I rewatched the end and noticed that there were several white lights leaving the cave, that thought struck me. And it's been a while since I've seen the uh, finale episode, so am I way off in assuming this? Not at all. That is a brilliant theory. And I never thought of that before. Yeah, when this email came in and I saw that, I was like, holy shit, how have I never thought of this? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's it. That is absolutely it. So, thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, because I was content with just accepting it, that that whatever Tara, whatever happened to Tara just wore off. You know, like, which I think is what Raven suggests. Yeah, because they say maybe it wore off. Um, what did, I thought there were a couple other ideas that were thrown out. Maybe there. her Raven spell or his right. cyborg's chemical analyses or just you know. Stuff. Yeah, that's a lot of the stuff BB throws out, and they're all like, "No, no, no! Th th this is why it can't be." So when you really think about it, yeah, yeah, and the fact that Slade gets involved kind of tells me, of course, Slade's going to get involved because it involves Tara, but. Uh, yeah, that is that is such a brilliant idea. That has to be it. That is it. Yep. And, Mike, I wanted to ask you if you've seen anything for Batman Brave and the Bold, the video game for Wii and DS. It seems like something you would like, uh, and I'm really, I'm really excited about it. Plus, it'll be a nice little interlude until the next Batman game, Arkham City, comes out. Insert Homer drooling no noise here. <laughs> Thanks, as always, Adonis. <laughs> Thanks, Adonis. Um, no, I haven't seen much about that game. I mean... I'm currently in the process of selling off my DS games, and I'm probably going to sell my DS eventually, too. And it looks like I'm going to be selling my Wii as well. So I'm probably not going to be buying or renting games anytime soon. I've seen... I don't think I've seen really any videos for it. I think I've seen a couple of screen caps, and that's it. They've had so, a commercial running on TV for a few weeks. Um, you know, doesn't I, mean, look good. I, it, I saw the, the uh, DS version i think is what they showed on the commercial it, it uh -huh. looks it looks decent oh that's cool okay apparently you can team up with uh aquaman and <laughs> robin and you know a bunch of other here i think blue beetle yeah uh, so yeah i mean it looks okay certainly cool. for, certainly good for a ds game okay next one's from grace who writes hey guys your review of the end was amazing i just wanted to comment on the fight in part two where slade and robin were fighting in sync I agree with your thought that Robin and Slade are just two sides of the same coin, but I always thought that they were able to do that because it was a reminder that Robin was Slade's apprentice. Anyway, I love your show, and keep up the good work. That's a good idea, but I don't know if I necessarily buy into that. Because um, we didn't see Slade and Robin doing anything together. Slade was always sending Robin out to run errands. 
while he was the apprentice. Right, yeah. Sure, there might have been missions, unseen missions, where they were out working together. But yeah, I, I really got to you know dig my heels in and say it has to do with them being opposite sides of the same coin. Right, next one's from Christian writes, Hey guys, I can't believe that you two are almost done with the awesome Teen Titans. Mike, I finally got to read the two Jeff Johns Superman books I bought from you, those being Superman Brainiac and Superman and the Legion of Superheroes, and both were fantastic. The writer for that awful Superman issue you reviewed last month ought to have read the latter book, in which a xenophobic future incarnation of Justice League convinces the world that Superman was a superpowered human who sought to rid the planet of aliens and that the world should follow his example. When a policeman sees the Man of Steel freeing some captive aliens and says that the real Superman would never do that, Superman replies, I'm for everyone, making him the exact opposite of the douchebag he is in the aforementioned baby-chested issue on Is It Wednesday Yet? Are those two stories even in the same continuity? <laughs> yeah, they are, unfortunately. Uh, for uh, people that don't know, if you go over to Earth2.net and you search the archives for the written version of Is It Wednesday Yet? I reviewed an issue, of, I want to say it was Action Comics, probably number 702, 703, something like that, written by J. Michael Straczynski. I tore it to shreds. It was it was abysmal. Um, you know, as for those two trade paperbacks uh, that that I sold there, um, I I like the Superman Brainiac one so much better. It's got a lot of emotion, a lot of depth to it. It's not perfect, but uh, it's it's very strong. The other one featuring the Legion of Superheroes, I, I'm kind of lukewarm on that one. Um, still a good story, and again, so much better than the JMS written piece of trash. That I that I recently reviewed, but uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really I'm really glad you you enjoyed those. You know, I, I would have hated to have sold them and have you be like, these suck. I want my money back because <laughs> I would have been like, it's been spent. <laughs> <laughs> I also recently saw the Illusion of Superheroes cartoon, and though I know it's not in the DCAU, I noticed that it had an extremely similar style and occasionally teased the idea that it was in continuity. For example, the original Brainiac in that show had the same voice and same theme music as the one in the DCAU. While the Thanagarians had the same design as those in Starcrossed, and a swarm of Wayne LexCorp robots like those in World's Finest appear in one episode. What do you guys think of that show? I would love to see you guys give it some sort of treatment, whether in the form of a blanket article like Dan's review of the Flash TV show, or a follow-up to WFP, perhaps titled WFP Beyond or WFP Unlimited. Yeah, I, I didn't see a lot of that Legion of Superheroes cartoon, did you? That's okay, I've never seen a single episode of it. <laughs> um, I remember the little bits that I did see were... We're pretty good, but, you know, I don't own them. I assume they're on DVD. Next one is from Kevin, writes, Hey, Mike and James, have either of you seen Scott Pilgrim vs. The World yet? I saw it with my friend Dan on opening night and haven't looked back since. It was fan-freaking-tastic. So good that I even picked up the 8-inch Scott and Ramona plushies. I walked into my local comic book store to find their Scott Pilgrim display front and center with the soundtrack playing in the background. I was in heaven. Since then, I've seen the movie three times, and let me tell you, it gets better every time. And although I, pref I prefer the books, the movie is still awesome. If you've seen it, what did you think? If you haven't, well, then I say the same thing Scott says about dating a high schooler. I highly recommend it. <laughs> um, I've not seen the movie, and I'm pissed at myself because I don't know if it's still in theaters because I know it did really poorly, really poorly, um, at least in America. I don't know how it's doing overseas. Um. I, I so wanted to see that, and then it just passed me by. Um, I haven't you? seen it either. My two roommates did, and they said it was unbelievably cool. Yeah. Uh, and it's it seems to me that, and since I just went to Anime Week in Atlanta um, 
God, what was that? Weekend before last. Yeah. Um, the, there were people, you know, there were people dressed up as Scott Pilgrim and Ramona. Um, it seems to me like it's going to become one of those cult classic movies since it did so poorly in theaters. But I, I, I honestly think the DVD is probably going to sell really well. Yeah, I think it's going to find a brand new life on DVD for sure. Um, but it's going to take a while. All right, next one is a follow-up from Adonis who writes, Hey there, so uh, weird coincidence here. I was watching an episode of the second season of Smallville, and during the opening credits I just so happened to notice that one of the guest stars was named Michael David Sims. Yeah, yeah. he had two M's, but still weird. Apparently he was also an X2 and an episode of The Twilight Zone. And when I was looking through the uh, credits and saw the name, I did a double take and had to look up. I thought it was interesting, at least. And not to leave James out, I just wanted to let you know that you're very good at reading the emails. And by that, I mean speaking clearly and putting the correct emphasis on certain words. And I'm sure I speak for the rest of the listeners when I say good job and thanks. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I, I really believe, truly believe that I am dyslexic because I constantly screw up words when I'm reading them and I say the wrong things. And when I'm typing, I type out words that are completely not what I'm thinking of at the time. So I appreciate that. Yeah, there, there's a reason I don't read the emails, and James does. It's because he's a better reader than me. So, yeah. If you say so. <laughs> well, well, yeah, trust me, you are. Though, I, I'd like to pat myself on the back just a little and say that I'm a pretty good audio editor. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a good take video a, editor. <laughs> I'm going to take about 2% of uh, the credit you just, just gave James. Just a little. Like I said, just 2%. He's still gets 98 of it, though. I will gladly see to you that that two percent, and I would probably say it should be a little higher. Yeah. Um, as for the actor who shares my name, yeah, he, he's one of those, uh, you know, those guys. You know, he's he's in everything, but you don't realize he's stu- in stuff until like, maybe you Eric. recognize. Yeah, exactly. Until maybe you see his name in the credits or you recognize his face. He is. He is. Just look at his IMDb page. He's been in a ton of stuff. Next one is from Josh from earlier, who writes, uh, Hello, Micah James. Since uh, you chose not to comment on my thoughts uh, from last week, I will say that redheads are hideous freaks. Alice in Wonderland references ruined television. Nightwing is worthless. Barbara Gordon is the worst character in Batman history. <laughs> Fractured is the worst episode of Teen Titans by far, and Avatar The Last Airbender is terrible. <laughs> let's see. Considering I know who sent this, let's start the process of banning IP addresses. <laughs> <laughs> From the forums. Yes. <laughs> uh, on a more serious and less childish note, I thought I'd mention something I came across this week. I watched the Superman the Animated Series Apocalypse Now, and I listened to your review of it. I normally wouldn't reference something from so far back, but I noticed something big that both of you missed. Mike expressed confusion as to why Darkseid would use the bumbling Manheim for his plans. Uh, I was rather surprised that James did not provide the answer, because he's usually very good at catching mythological themes. In mythology, a repeating theme is that God, or the gods, intentionally use the low, the weak, the outca- and the outcast for their plans. Jesus was not a prince, but a carpenter. Paul wrote that God uses the weak to shame the strong. And the Old Testament leaves you wondering, why would God use these idiots through much of the narrative portion? Outside of Christianity, you have the legend of Rome being founded by twins who were abandoned to die and raised by a prostitute. The later myth about the wolf came about because the prostitute's name meant wolf in Latin. And in the universe of DC, uh, you even have Trigon choosing to bear his child, not the daughter of a, a king or great leader, but a homeless runaway who was of no worth to anyone. 
And it should be of utterly no surprise that Darkseid, who fancies himself a god, would follow the narrative archetypal myths of the gods that are repeated throughout the world. Just thought I would mention it, as James is typically quite good at catching these things, something I enjoy about his contributions. Notice how also how I rather cleverly made it relevant to Teen Titans. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I, well, you know, we're both atheists, so we don't necessarily catch the uh, the Christian themes so yeah. much. Or The mythology, you know, I, I used to be really into mythology, and because my favorite video game, Xenogears, is so heavy on mythology, that really increased my love of it, but that was... You know, that game came out in 1998, so a lot of it I forget. It just happens. I don't have a lot to say about the slew of uh, three episodes you gave us recently, but they were good reviews up to your usual standards. I just have two observations to make. One is that you recently covered what may have been the funniest single moment in all of the Teen Titans series. That would be when Beast Boy, to act like a Jedi when they were trapped on television, just went up to Raven, yanked off her cloak. The expression on Raven's face at that moment, in my opinion, is the single funniest moment I have seen yet. Her expression seems to be confusion. Perhaps, I know he didn't just do that. <laughs> or, has Beast Boy lost his mind? <laughs> the other comment is simply to say that I love the end. It is, with no disrespect to Aftershock, the one episode of Teen Titans that I think compares favorably to the epic episodes of the rest of the DCAU. I'm not claiming that it is better than the best episodes of Superman, Batman, or Justice League, but I think it does belong in that category. The rest of Teen Titans, for as entertaining and sometimes great as the episodes are, don't quite make it to that level. Looking forward to your next episode, as always. Thanks for all the insights. While I don't always agree with you, I find your podcast to be a priceless resource in getting maximum enjoyment out of the DCAU. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you, thank you. All right, and the last one today is from Jacob, who writes, Hello, Mike and James. I love your show, and though I'm a little late in the game, I did want to write in. First of all, I'd like to point out that literally two days after I watched episode 257-494, I saw an episode of Supernatural that had the exact same plot. Granted, it had a, duh, Supernatural context rather than a technological one, but the story was about the main characters being stuck on television. I'm not really a fan of the show, but I had to bring that up. Your last three shows were great, though I do have to say that James' imitation of the source was the funniest part of Employee of the Month. (laughs) It is our way! (laughs) It will never sound the same to me again. (laughs) I have to say that what Starfire says at the end of Troc is one of the most touching scenes in all of television. This brings up a point to me, uh, to me in a way. How great really was the voice cast of this show? I'd have to start with Hinden Walsh, who plays, portrays at least four people, and they all sound like different voice actors. Starfire, Blackfire, Argent, Argent, and Madame Rouge all sound like different people did their voices. Tara Strong simply makes you believe when you hear her voice that she isn't just doing a show. She makes you believe that Raven is a real person, and she gets her sarcasm down perfectly. The emotion portrayed by these two, let alone any of the others, all of whom do beyond stellar performances, are difficult to overstate. Rather, they can best be described by their finest moments. For me, what Starfire said at the end of Troc had so much, forgive the word, humanity, that it's difficult to watch the scene without getting emotional. As for Tara Strong, my favorite moment for her was in How Long is Forever. When Starfire approaches her, she says she is her friend. The next line from Raven is a simple, no such thing. There is so much emotion in that that it almost makes me tear up. That is not merely a line from someone who's gone insane. It's a statement of abject despair and hopelessness that one can only make after they've lost everything. The episode gets a nine from me, if only for the emotions portrayed in it. I'm curious, though, what are your defining moments for the voice cast? Looking forward to future episodes, Jacob. I think we'll hold off on answering that until episode 90. Yeah. When we do our look back at Teen Titans. Um, but... Some of the stuff you brought up there, those really are some top moments. Absolutely. I mean, 
in fact, just today I was really thinking about um, how long is forever because there's just awesome, awesome work in that episode overall. Who do you work with? I work alone these days. You get a nice place, very secret lair. Quit changing the subject. Does it bother you that all those guys never listen to you? Why are you so interested in me? There's something about you that's different. I think you can do better. Can I get some mustard? This looks a little dry. Have your fun. In a minute, you're going to wish you were never born. Oh, right. You want to see what makes me tick? You're an idiot. I'm turning you over to the Brotherhood of Evil. You're joking, right? You're not joking. Jinx, you don't want to get mixed up with them. Watch me. You're making a big mistake. First up today is Lightspeed. In this one, the Hive Five are robbing a museum. And when they're done, they think they're home free when just as they waltz out the front door, their loot is suddenly swiped by this red and yellow streak that's so fast they can't even see what happened. And when all the blurs are gone, it's clear that whoever is responsible for this was just messing with them because Mammoth's pants have been pulled down, <laughs> and Jinx was left with a rose in her hand. Um, and on cue, the alarm sounds, and so the, all the young villains take off running. So we get the uh, opening theme song, which is actually hijacked by the High Five. Uh, and then after this, we go into their little hideout, which is, I guess, supposed to mirror the uh, the Titan's Tower. And... Jinx is insisting that this is not the work of the Teen Titans because none of them are in town. So she says that they they need to impress the Brotherhood of Evil because, well, just because. And Gizmo locates several targets that they can rob all over town, including uh, an electronics store, some uh, armored cars, and a taco stand. <laughs> and uh, so they all set out to do whatever they're, they're going to do, stealing shit. Uh, Seymour and Kid Wicked try to rob an armored car, but they're just totally enveloped by this red and yellow tornado and thrown into the bay. Gizmo is stopped from robbing an electronics store, and Billy Numerous tries to cause havoc at a junior hockey rink and steals Zamboni machines for some reason. <laughs> um, well, it's Billy Numerous. Remember last time he was just stealing stupid shit? He's just doing it again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's his M.O. Do I need it? No. Do I want it? Yeah. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, Billy. Why do you want it? <laughs> but uh, the mysterious you figure... Pulled off that, you pulled off that hick accent a little too easily, sir. Just well, look, look where I live. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the uh, the mysterious uh, speedy figure um, puts an end to this quickly, too. And so back at the uh, the Hive hideout, Jinx tells all her uh, compatriots that uh, if they can capture this do-gooder, the the Brotherhood of Evil will surely let them have membership. And uh, the the rest of them are all like, who gives a crap what the, what the Brotherhood's doing? I don't want to get mixed up with them. Yeah. Um, so Jinx goes on her own back to the museum where she is confronted by the one and only Kid Flash. Yeah! Yeah, yeah! Um, he tries to convince her to not be a bad guy anymore. Uh, and he actually does get into her head a little bit. Um, but she tricks him. And the rest of the hive ambushes him. And Kid Flash starts to run around, and a very entertaining battle ensues. Um, unfortunately, he slips on some water, and uh, Jinx ambushes him and knocks him out. And they, when we come back from, I guess, what would have been the commercial break, they, he's in a just a simple cage. And 
He just, Kid Flash just continues to play mind games with all the High Five, most notably wondering why they're called the High Five when they have six members. Because <laughs> <laughs> it sounds cooler. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the the rest of the, the High Five besides Jinx goes and just watches some wrestling. And uh, <laughs> Jinx just face palms massively here. And she contacts Madame Rouge. Um and is in total fangirl mode. She she just wants to be Madame Rouge so badly she she just doesn't know what to do with herself. But Madame Rouge is not amused by this and demands to know why she's wasting her time. So Jinx says, Look, I caught Kid Flash and Rouge is like, Really? And she just continues to talk down to her, insulting her, but she does say she'll be there soon. Um Kid Flash escapes, of course, and Utterly trashes the hive's hideout, just rips rips things apart, uh, destroys every room in the place except for uh, Jinx's room, which she pretty much destroys herself trying to get Kid Flash out of there. And uh, so Rouge inevitably arrives, and she's like, seriously, and she insults all of them and tells them to stay the hell out of her way. She'll get Kid Flash. So. Kid Flash confronts who he thinks is Jinx out on the street somewhere, but it, you know, turns out to be Rouge in disguise, and Kid Flash is clearly bitten off a little more than he can chew here, and uh, Rouge exhausts him so badly that he has to hide in a warehouse. Uh, Seymour of the High Five uh, is just up in the sky uh, watching everything happen, and he alerts Jinx to his location, and uh, she confronts him in the warehouse and traps him in this force field. And Rouge arrives, and Jinx is like, look, look, I captured him like I said I would. Rouge just looks over, looks back at Jinx, backhands the fuck out of her and says, bitch, I'm the one who wore him out. Now hand him over. So Jinx, at this point, has a change of heart and says, you know what? Fuck you. Uh, She smashes the control to the containment field, and Kid Flash speeds away, and Rouge is not at all pleased. And she tries to attack Jinx, but Jinx just unleashes a massive energy blast at her and knocks her all the way across the street and says, no one tells me what to do. And this, for the first time, Rouge actually looks impressed with Jinx and says, hmm, we'll be in touch. So she leaves, and Seymour floats down from the sky and asks Jinx uh, if she wants to join him for a theft, but she declines. And she walks along, and she sees a rose in the street, and she just kind of smiles, walks away, motives unknown. Yes. So, what say you, sir? Well, I love seeing Kid Flash in here. Because um, over in Justice League, I've made no secret about it. Wally's my favorite character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mike, Michael Rosenbaum, right, Michael Rosenbaum uh, brings all the charm of, the, you know, the older Flash to the younger version of the Flash here. Um, so it is that for it. I really like what they were doing with Jinx here. Um, I like what they were doing with Wally, you know, which we see over in, over in Justice League, and I believe is, in fact, I know is a part of his character in the comics, too. You know, if, if he sees, you know, he knows everybody, almost everybody has a good side. Very few people are truly evil. And over in the Justice League, there was that episode, um, have we covered that one yet? I get confused about the order of this stuff. No, we haven't covered it yet. The one where all the rogues get together and try to kill him? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, God, 
the Flash Museum episode. Yeah, that's that's still coming up for us, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, like, over there, we see how you can just sit down and talk to the villains, or at least uh, the trickster, and be like, oh, come on, you know, you know we're friends. James, I... you haven't taken your medicine. Right, exactly. He knows he, the guy has a good heart, that he's just a little mixed up. And we're seeing that here with Jinx. I mean, we're not quite sure what he sees in her, because she's, up to this point, she's demonstrated uh, no... No goodness? <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. She, she's always come off as just being, not necessarily evil, but bad. And as you said here, we see her being a, ma- a Madame Rouge wannabe. So we don't know what he sees in her, but he sees something. And so it's nice having that little bit of continuity there, um, that they stayed true to the character. But overall, I'm not crazy about this episode. It's it, it's it's fun. And like I said, it has that stuff, but... I don't know. It's it's. It feels like it's just missing something, and I don't know what that something is. What about you? I don't know what that something is either because I love this episode. Oh, okay, death. cool, cool. <laughs> I absolutely. This is seriously one of my five favorite episodes of wow. in all of Teen Titans. Okay, okay. It, I I could watch this episode on loop for days and never get sick of it just because of what you said, Michael Rosenbaum. Just every scene he's in, he owns. Mm-hmm. I, I love his interactions with Jinx, um, and re- like you said, Jinx is really just like Bart Simpson. She, you know, yeah. she, she doesn't want to be. Oh, well, I mean, she. I guess she does. She doesn't want to be like a menace to society, but it, it, she still has that kind of Bart Simpson. Oh, I just want to be a a petty thug yeah. kind of thing to her. She, uh, so that I can see where Kid Flash maybe saw that little spark that she can. Like he said several times, you can do better. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, I mean, there are a couple things that uh, that uh, I, I take issue with here. Like, Kid Flash is bested by a wet floor sign, yeah. and and he runs into a wall. <laughs> Granted, he was trying; he was running for his life and just trying to maybe concentrate more on Madame Rouge's body being flung at him in all different directions, and he just didn't look at the wall. But well, no, no, no. He knew that wall was there. You're talking about when he leaves a very cartoony shape in it, right? Uh, Is that the wall? Well, when he runs through all the several layers of wall, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking where he just runs into a brick wall and just is like, Oh, okay, because there's that point where he runs through all the walls and then... He's really tired. Right, he's really tired, but then there's another wall that he tries to run through and he hits it and he falls down in a very cartoony fashion. And it kind of leaves his outline in the wall. and That that may... Maybe that's what it is then. Yeah, if that's what you're talking about. Again, he's so tired that he can't even vibrate to get through it. Or he can't, you know, shake himself fast enough to break through it like the Tasmanian Devil like he did the other walls. That would, that actually didn't bother me. I mean, it being really cartoony and leaving his outline there and him not having his teeth fall out and be all dead, you know, okay, that's a little something. But considering some of the stuff that other characters have survived in this show, it doesn't bother me too much, really. There was kind of a goof up. Um, Madame Rouge, when she's talking to Jinx the very first time, says that they should have him in a level three containment field. But in the very next scene, Gizmo says just incredulously, a level four containment field? (laughs) Really? Yeah. Oh, I never noticed that. (laughs) A little bit of a goof up there. Yeah, yeah. Um. I think one of my favorite just little parts of the episode is when uh, Kid Flash goes into Jinx's room, and they're they're like, or Seymour's like, 
he's he's in such and such area and Jinx is like that's my room and so <laughs> so she goes up there and he's reading her uh, or looking through her sketchbook and she's yeah. like I never took you for the unicorn type yeah. <laughs> and she just goes ape shit yeah. <laughs> And then when she trashes the room, she's even more pissed off. Right. Yeah, because it's the one room he didn't fuck with, you yeah. know, <laughs> and he made her do it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would also like to say, I think this episode, there's a nice little touch in it. When Jinx decides to go off by herself to find Kid Flash, she takes that doodad from Gizmo, and after she steals it from him, she, she just kind of gently pets his bald head. Not just pats it, but she actually, she kind of rubs it, you know, and you get to see that even though these guys are villains, they are friends, you know, and that was her, even though she rudely took the thing from him, that was her kind way of saying thank you or sorry. Yeah. Um, it's just this very little thing that you may not even notice. I know I didn't notice it the first couple times I saw this episode. And then finally when I did, I was like, oh, that's a cool little touch. I like that. And I also did like the fact that Seymour clearly has a crush on her. Yeah. You know, and that's why he's helping her, you know. And sadly, nothing will come of that because she and Kid Flash maybe get a little something-something going on. But, uh, you know, I, I wish we could have got a little more of Seymour after this episode. I don't know what we see of him here. I started to kind of like the guy. He has a very interesting power. I yeah. I, I mean, I don't entirely understand it. I mean, I get it sort of like... Uh, uh, what was his name? Triclops from He-Man, yeah. where the different eyes do different things. But sometimes he can shoot eyeballs. Other times they let him float like a weather balloon or something. I, I, I mean, if he could just see things, okay. But all these other powers, I don't quite get them. I accept them. I just don't get them. Yeah, is Kid Wicked it from the comics? Because I mean, he looks exactly like Batman. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know of Kid Wicked, but every time I see him, I think he's got a great look for, if, like, if they ever did, like, a, an alternate reality, young, evil Batman, that's Kid Wicked. That's the same design they should use right there. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I have to assume he is from the comics, because I believe, like, most of the characters in Teen Titans were taken straight from the pages of the book. Something I found interesting about this episode is, I don't think a single Titan appears in this. I mean, the primary five. Nope. I mean, do any of them show up in any capacity? I'm talking even just, like, a quick little photograph on the screen or something, like, or in someone's, like, thought balloon. Anything? Uh, nope. Not that I remember. Wow, because I know this season, we don't always get all the Titans on screen. Um, it's, it's a weird season like that, but I, I, I'm always shocked by this one that not even, like, Robin pops up to give, like, Kid Flash a communicator or something. Yeah, um, no, it's it's nope. definitely a gutsy move, focusing on a character we haven't seen before and putting him against a group of villains that we have seen before. That's that's really risky. But I think that means they trusted Michael Rosenbaum to pull it off. Uh, because they know, they absolutely know what a wonderful actor he is. What's buzzing, cousins? You're going to hand over what you stole now! Chill out, cool cat. The ding-dong daddy ain't cruising for a bruising. The prize is yours. All you gotta do is race me for it. What does he mean, prize? 100% titanium alloy. Bulletproof, fireproof, blastproof, encrypted lock. And here's the real kicker. 
Robin, when you said we had to stop a crook, I think you left out a minor detail. You would have won Rob. It doesn't matter. Last chance. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. How about my way? You want it back, you'll need to beat me in a race. That's if you have the wheels for it. You're challenging the T-Car with that thing? Oh, you are on. Then I'll see you at the finish line. Be there or be square. <laughs> Next up is Revved Up. I'm going to synopsize this very quickly. Please do, because I have plenty, plenty to say about this one. Ding Dong Daddy, who actually is from the comics, people, he has somehow gotten his hands on a super-secret briefcase that belongs to Robin, and inside it is, like, Robin's most treasured secret. And uh, he's all like, Hey, Daddy-O's, I'll give it back... I can't do it. I'll give it back to you <laughs> if you beat me in a race. And Cyborg's like, you're on! Why they just don't surround the car and kick the shit out of this tub of lard, I don't know. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we need the episode to actually go 22 minutes, so we'll throw in a nonsensical race? Okay. So whatever. They they race him. Robin's on the R-cycle. Uh, Beast Boy and Cyborg are in the car. The girls try to fly. Ding Dong Daddy knocks out their powers somehow. Um, so they get on a bus. They have some shenanigans. Various other shenanigans ensue throughout the episode. A whole bunch of villains get involved, including Red X, um, who actually, at the end of the day, ends up helping Robin um, get the briefcase back because he stops the other villains from uh, getting in Robin's way. And uh, Robin wins the race by knocking Ding Dong Daddy out of his car. He drives it across the finish line. And uh, at the end of the episode, Robin's like, you know what, you guys, you really risked everything. I, I don't know what they really risked, but that's what he said. Uh, to help me win this race and get this back, so I'm going to show you what's in here. The MacGuffin, I mean the briefcase opens, and we never see what's inside. Um, normally, I would have done my stoner voice for this episode, but I don't even care enough to do that. <laughs> And that says all that needs to be said right there. So you, with the notes, sir, what are you thinking? Well, I'm going to piggyback right off what you said there. This episode should have just been called Where the MacGuffin Meets the Road. <laughs> that would have been awesome. I would have given it an extra point for that. Yeah. I mean, literally nothing is explained here. Nothing. Mm -hmm. What was in the briefcase? How did fucking Ding Dong Daddy get the briefcase in the first place? And for fuck's sake, who is Red X? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's Larry. I'm convinced after this episode that it's Larry. You know, he's out because he's, I, I, you know, he's only, he's not trying to stop Robin. He's just give. he's just teasing Robin. And then at the end, he's like, that briefcase only means a lot to you. And Robin's like, yeah, more than you know. And he's like, okay. And then he turns into a hero and stops all the other villains we've seen before, such as, uh, British guy and TV guy and Mad Dr. Mod. Yeah, I, yeah, Mad Mod, that's his name. And Control Freak, and, and he just stops them. I'm absolutely convinced Red X is Larry. Or, okay. if it's not Larry, it's an alternate version of Larry. So it's another imp <laughs> that's a fan of Dick Grayson. <laughs> then why does he need the Xenothium-powered suit? 
Um, because he's, like I said, it's, it, maybe it's not necessarily Larry. It's another Larry from another universe who doesn't have the same magical powers. Okay. <laughs> and I, well, before I even, before I get into my other negative notes here, I, as much as I dislike this episode, everything that happens from when Robin saves Red X until Red X just disappears the last time after seeing Raven and Starfire on the bus was totally badass. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, this episode does have some good stuff, including the return of the duck guy from the Control Freaks chat room. Yeah. So that was a surprise little uh, return character. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I'm sorry I interrupted. Please keep going with your notes, because well, I, mean, I, I really didn't write down a lot about this one. Uh, I mean, really, like you said in, in the like the 45-second synopsis <laughs> there, this, this episode literally should have been like 38 seconds long. Yeah. Raven, Raven says, Azeroth Metreon Zinthos takes the briefcase from Ding Dong Daddy, game over, let's go home and eat some pizza. Yeah, exactly. Really? <laughs> what, what is the point of this episode? Because Ding Dong Daddy extolled the cool features of the briefcase, which means there is no way in hell he is going to be able to get that thing open. Mm. No way in hell. So, really, he's just an annoying douchebag. Yeah. Yeah, the only person who could have potentially got it open was Gizmo. So if they or had, Slade. <laughs> or Slade, true. But if they would have had Gizmo steal it, and then it's just a 22-minute chase of them going after Gizmo, fine. I'd buy it. But some guy that we've never seen before pops up. Well, I know we've seen him before because we saw him in that big wide shot of all the villains at the start of this season. But you know what I mean. We've not seen yeah. him in action before. Just pops up, never explaining how we got it or, or or any of that. Why you want... No, no, it does it doesn't work for me. It absolutely does not. It's just... Ah. Yeah. Um, and you want to explain to me how something as fantastically un-aerodynamic as that mobile pit stop was able to race past the T-car and the fucking Redbird? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, really, the thing is just like, it, it's an open box. Uh-huh. And, it, and, it, and it, it outruns a fucking motorcycle that had to have been designed by Batman. Uh-huh. And the T-car, yeah. which which in and of itself is a state-of-the-art uh, vehicle. Yeah, yeah. But this, this, you know, mobile pit stop driven by some gremlins is, <laughs> is able to outrun a motorcycle and the most state-of-the-art car in existence. Okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um... And something else you said in the summary, um, actually, this was not a note I took during the episode, but I'm, but it reminded me, uh, Ding Dong Daddy's beam that he shoots Starfire and Raven with nullifies their flying ability, but not their energy powers. We don't see them use their energy powers until, like, they're on the, the bus. bus. Yeah. So maybe that's when their powers started to come back, but they weren't fully back? Question mark? I no, don't know. You know what? I, I I want that to stay as a negative for this episode. Oh, go for it! I'm not stopping you. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I'm not even going to try to justify anything, <laughs> any of the stupidity that happens in this episode. And believe me, there is plenty of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like <laughs> this this whole thing. Like all the villains have cars. I mean, a Gizmo, I can understand. I really yeah. can understand Gizmo having a little vehicle like like he does. Mm. But, and obviously, Johnny Rotten's got the bike yeah. to begin with. Right. And Red X, you can buy buying having a bike too. Oh, Red X is is so far beyond any of these villains that 
but you know what though? I I mean, I'm sorry, I don't mean to keep doing this, but it makes sense for Control Freak to have the car he does too, because it's an homage to the 1960s Batmobile. True. So, but and we've seen him do high tech stuff before. So him, but please continue because you started saying about Mad Mod. Well, uh, Mad Mod drives a fucking Big Ben. (laughs) Yeah. uh, It's like. It reminds me of that Scooby Doo movie where they, where like Shaggy is turned into the werewolf, and they have to race for him to get like an antidote or something. I don't remember what what the whole point of the race was, but yeah, I mean that's really what this whole thing was like. And I don't know, I know maybe this was maybe this episode was an homage to that. I don't know. It's just so goddamn stupid. No, I mean really, Ding Dong Daddy's from the comics. And I wouldn't be surprised if this was somehow an adaptation of of a particular issue of the book. So I don't know. And before anybody writes in, I do know that Batman the Brave and the Bold, they've done an episode like this, but I haven't seen it. So I can't compare the two. Because I, I know uh, people will probably write in and ask about that. I did kind of like how the very, when the mobile pit stop is finally destroyed, the only thing that comes out of the tunnel is uh, Beast Boy as a horse and uh, Cyborg like on like a chariot. That's not, all that's left of the T car is one of the axles. Yeah, yeah, that, that was, was pretty, pretty cool. funny. Yeah, and uh, I did like the Batmobile tease, and then and then it turns out to be Control Freak's car. That that was kind of cool too. But yeah, I mean, I, I honestly wrote down three notes. Red X, Batmobile Tease, Duck Guy from Control Freak's chat room. That's all I wrote down. <laughs> you know, I've got nothing to say about this one. It's just... It, in a, in, it, this season is so good. And they throw this in there? <laughs> like, what the hell is this? Now, I know what they were doing. They were going for a lighthearted episode in a season... That was really just ramping up the action and just kept on ramping it up. You know, I get it. But at the same time, you know, throw us another Larry-like episode or another The Source-like episode, you know? Seriously, I would love to see The Source come back. (laughs) Well, I, I don't even mean bring them back. I just mean something of that quality. You know, still, you know, something that's super fun, not meant to be taken too seriously. Do that, but... Ding Tong Daddy? Okay, you know what? Something else I'll give this episode was when Beast Boy went into all trucker mode on the CB. <laughs> That's yeah. good. That was really good. Breaker, breaker. This is, uh, I don't even know what the hell he said. <laughs> like green jeans or something. <laughs> and he's got the sideburns, because I think Beast Boy actually does sometimes have those sideburns in the comic, too. And he had the, the trucker hat and the, the yeah. overalls, I think. It was, yeah. that, was, that was fantastic. I, yeah. I, I yeah. forgot about that, but yeah, that has to be given to this one. I'm not claiming that this is like the worst thing the DCAU has ever produced. Clearly it's not. But it's just, there's just no need for it to even exist. Exactly. I mean, if you're a completist, watch it, but you could skip this. And you're not going to miss anything overall for this season. I almost think this one was made just to give us one last Red X appearance. Yeah. And be- it's be- very similar to the last episode we're going to cover today. Mm-hmm. Very, very exactly. Similar. Exactly. I know what you're talking about. You know, because it's like they needed 
I think they needed to explain why Red X wasn't going to be in the big fight. And here they're reminding us, look, he's not a good guy, but he's not a bad guy. So that's why he's not in the fight. And we see here he's helping Robin, so blah, 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 blah. Here you go. It's just a little bit of fan service, really. And they, they just wrapped this really kind of sh crummy story around it. Lord Trogar, the weapon has reached full power. Then begin the firing sequence. The Earth scum shall learn. It takes more than five juvenile heroes to defy the mighty Lord Trogar. We're not five heroes. We're one team. And next up is Go. In this one, uh, we're aboard an alien ship and some... Alien soldiers are discussing a prisoner they have, and they pray that she can't get free. So, right on cue, the prisoner bursts through her cell door. Surprise, surprise, the prisoner is a Tamaranian. Uh, back on Earth, we see a hoodlum running into a dark alley with his loot, and we see a shadowy figure flying around, and uh, a birdarang flies out of nowhere and knocks the crowbar out of his hand. And the person lands on the ground, and bats start flying out of the alley. But, of course, it is Robin uh, who takes the guy down. And the burglar says, wait, this ain't your town. Aren't you working with... And Robin interrupts him and says, just moved here. And now on, from now on, I'm working alone. So suddenly a bright green light zooms across the sky and crashes in the middle of the town. So Robin ties the mug up and heads towards it. And from the crater in the middle of the street, springs forth the Tamaranian, who goes absolutely berserk, starts trashing everything with these arm cuffs still binding her. And uh, Robin arrives and draws her attention while we see in the shadows Raven is just watching all of this in awe. Robin you know, whips out the staff and strikes her with it, <laughs> but it crumbles to pieces. <laughs> Sorry, I'm 12. <laughs> yeah, I know you are. <laughs> and I didn't even think about that, but that, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, so the girl is about to strike Robin, but a familiar green shapeshifter runs in and headbutts her away. Ex-Doom Patrol member Beast Boy reporting. How can I help you, sir? Uh, you're, you're Robin! <laughs> so, so Beast Boy is utterly starstruck at being in the presence of Robin. And the, uh, the girl attacks again with uh, throwing a bus, and uh, then Cyborg shows up and grabs it out of midair. And we, you know, he he's under he's wearing a hoodie and some jeans or something or sweatpants so you you can't really see his robotic parts or anything but you do see his glowing red eye and after a few more seconds uh raven shows up and puts up a barrier between uh the boys and the girl who is obviously starfire and uh raven says look maybe fighting isn't the answer and robin has an idea and he tells them to stand down so he can try to reason with her so he takes something out of his utility belt and shackles her and she grabs him and kisses him which we know grants her the ability to speak English um, she then says that if you wish to not be destroyed you will leave me alone and she flies away Beast Boy tries to kind of team up with each of the other heroes uh, to investigate this but each of them kind of casts him away 
uh, suddenly Beast Boy sees an alien ship hovering over the city, and a giant hologram appears, and the alien uh, overlord says, We are here to apprehend an escaped prisoner. Do not attempt to help her, or you will be annihilated. So the aliens start ransacking the city looking for Starfire, and the heroes all agree to look for her, and they find her in a, ca- in a store just eating tons and tons of candy. And uh, they reason with her, and she explains that the aliens that are after her are the Gordanians. And right. she wasn't a prisoner per se. She was a prize to be taken to the leader of the Gordanians, Trogar. They do battle with the Gordanians, um, and they defeat them. And then right on cue, Trogar appears, uh, reappears, I should say, and says, I warned you, now you done fucked up. So, Trogar activates this particle weapon in his ship that will destroy the city. The heroes argue momentarily, but Raven calms everyone down. They've uh, formulated a plan to get aboard the ship, and they do. And once they're inside, Raven kind of stays back from the rest of the group until Cyborg's like, "Um, why are you doing that? And Raven's like, I don't fit in. And Cyborg says, he's green, I'm half metal, and she's from space. So... Uh, so she does join the, the group and they get into a massive fight with the Gordanians on the ship and Trogar jumps into the fray and he's nearly won uh, until Cyborg rewires his arm into the sonic cannon and blasts him and the city is saved and they return to the ground uh, Robin, BB, Cyborg and Raven are seen standing on the familiar island and Starfire walks up in her more familiar outfit and Raven says, you know, I still don't know your name. And she says, in your language, it would be Starfire. So she wishes to remain on Earth because she's fascinated with everything and uh, she wants to learn more about humans. And uh, Robin gives communicators that he and Cyborg designed to uh, Raven, BB, and Starfire. And thus the Teen Titans are born. I would like to say that I really wish... Cyborg would have added in, and he was raised by Batman. <laughs> like, he's more fucked up than all of us. <laughs> there you go. Uh, this is going to get me some shit, I know it. I'm not crazy about this one. It's a good episode, don't get me wrong, but it it doesn't feel special enough to be the origin of the Teen Titans. I mean, it makes sense, you know, Starfire's come to Earth as a prisoner, escape prisoner, I should say, and the Rodanians attack, and, you know, they all just happen to be there, so they all team up, and then they all stick together, but it just didn't feel grand enough, epic enough. Um, and, well, I mean, I mean, granted, they couldn't use Slade, because they hadn't met him yet. They couldn't use any of the other foes, and they, at this point, they weren't going to introduce anybody, any new foes. But I don't know. It just, it really doesn't feel special enough for me. Well, I disagree. Yeah. I, I mean, I really, I really love this episode a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I will say though, I mean, this episode is like a carbon copy of, um, fuck, I just lost the name of it. Uh, the uh, very first Justice League episode, uh, Secret Origins. Secret Origins. Thank you. Yeah. God, I don't know how I forgot that, but yeah, I mean, really is. If you think about it, you got an alien comes to Earth, not necessarily of uh, free will, and is is misunderstood and eventually is helps out the heroes the you know the single heroes on earth and they have to team up to stop an alien threat uh and at, at the end they all decide you know what let's let's team up 
So, I mean, it's very, very similar to Secret Origins. Right. And so maybe because we've seen this before, maybe that's part of why you don't like, or you're not as, you know, very crazy about this one? Yeah, it could be. It definitely could be. Um, yeah, I really wish I had more to say about that, but I don't. Um, what, were some, what were some of the stuff you were liking about this, though? Well, I think this is... Really, I, I don't know what else they could have done to have the Titans unite. I mean, this really... It really was more than satisfactory for me uh, as, as an origin of the Titans story. Um... And I don't necessarily have one thing I can point to, uh, to, to really reinforce that opinion. Uh, it's just, I, I just really sit, like to sit back and enjoy it. Uh, you know, I love the interaction between Cyborg and Raven, uh, mm. in the ship. That was great. Yeah. Cause it, it really, it, it really brings a little bit of humanity to the, to the Raven character and really to Cyborg too. Cause, you know, he's, he's like, you know what? I, I'm half metal, but I, you know, I I do what I do. But yeah, I mean, I only have like a few notes for this one because it's everybody. If you've seen the episode, you know what it is. It's the it's the origin of of the Titans, and my notes are just you know kind of little things. Honestly, it's it, Robin says when there's trouble, you know who to call. Yeah, that was that was cool. I like that. I don't know. Maybe you don't. I well, no, no, no. I I do. I mean, they get little things in there, like the first time Cyborg is technically the first time he has said booyah. Yeah, and he's like, I'm only going to say this once. Right, you know, and Beast Boy, you know, he, he keeps calling uh, Cyborg Dude, you know, which if I remember correctly, he does throughout this whole series. Yeah, you know, so and he calls get, Robin Sir all the time. Right, yeah, you know, so there's some good stuff like that. We get, you know, what would be the first moments of things happening. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really don't. I'm, I'm sorry that I'm kind of ho-hum. About this one, um, nothing to apologize about. I mean, but I, I can I can understand why you don't like this one. Honestly, I, I yeah. because it, 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 there's not a lot to point out in this episode where it's like this is why I like this one or this is why I don't like this one. Yeah, see, for me, I don't think it has enough meat to it. It's sort of like oh, Should we're gonna. A two parter. Yeah, maybe you know, it's like oh, we're gonna tell the origin of the Teen Titans. And they sort of relied on that too much, more than the actual story, which is what they should have leaned on. But again, I keep, I keep, you know, thinking back over what I said, you know, because again, they couldn't use Slade, they couldn't use any of the other villains. They almost had to use uh, an, an alien race to make it work. But just this whole, we're gonna blow up the city. I don't know. I did think it was kind of cool that they used the Gordanians. Yeah. So a, yeah. a little more continuity there. Exactly. You know, and don't get me wrong, there's definitely some good stuff in here. Just the random kiss that Starfire plants on Robin's <laughs> face, and he has no clue what's going on. Um, you know, on top of the pizza joint, uh, George Perez and Marv Wolfman are there, so that's yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, I love that moment when B-Boy, he's all like, uh, you know, the first time he's introducing himself to Robin, and Robin's like, what was your name again? Beast Boy. And then he just like, he's like, Beast Boy? And he just points over at Starfire, and then she picks up the bus with her foot, and then, like, hacky sacks it right at them, yeah. you know? Because her hands are still cuffed. Um, yep. So that was really cool. I mean, it's got good action. It definitely does. It's just, 
You know what? Here's another thing. It's once the aliens land on Earth, that's where I start to lose a little interest. I love the fight between Starfire and the other would-be Titans. And once the villains actually arrive, that's when I lose interest. Not that I wanted to see them fight Starfire the whole time. Not that I wanted to see them sit down and have coffee and get to know each other. Um, (laughs) But it felt like the action took a step back. It just became generic, let's fight the, the the alien threat type of story that we've seen so many times, not just in Teen Titans, but in the DCAU as a whole. And as we're talking it through, I really think that's where I'm coming from here. I can understand that. I, I think it should be noted that Go means five in Japanese, which oh. is pretty cool since you've got the five, the five would-be Titans. Yeah, okay, cool. I had, I had no clue. Your communicator is of no use. Communicator. The brain has been tracking our every move with the communicator I gave to Hotspot. Don't you mean the communicator you gave to me? It's my fault. I'm the one who got us into trouble. Game over. Not yet. I can still warn the others. the titans every move we no longer need to so next up is calling all titans now before we get into into this one i want to say we're not going to cover this as a two-parter we're going to cover this and the next episode titans together as two individual episodes with this one just happening to end on a cliffhanger uh the reason for this and at least in my mind and james please correct me if uh uh it's this isn't the case, is because this isn't called Calling All Titans Part 1 and 2. That's yeah, why we're much. doing it as two parts, right? Or not two pretty parts, much. it's two separate episodes. Right, yeah, Okay. pretty much. Okay, cool. So this one starts out with the five Titans. They're finally returning back home to, to the West Coast. And uh, Beast Boy's all happy because he's going to have a tofu burger and go play Super Monkey Ball 4 or whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> um and Robin's like, no, 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 we actually have one more mission, and we, we have a couple more uh, junior heroes out there that we have to get communicators to. And Beast Boy's like, no, you know, I just want to go home. And Robin's like, no, we have to do this. And Beast Boy's like, well, why don't we just do it all together? And Robin's like, look, if we separate, we can get this done faster, then we can get home, and you can have your stupid tofu burger. He doesn't say that, but it's fine. <laughs> so Beast Boy's like, look, if the Brotherhood's after us, 
and I know the Brotherhood, and I know they're after us. we got to stick together. And Robin's like, no, I'm the leader. Do what I say. So they all split off. Beast Boy is not very happy right now. And uh, let's see. Starfire goes up to a young girl by the name of Argent, gives her the communicators. Argent is trying to fix a dam that's cracked. Um, Cyborg meets up with Pantha, uh, and she happens to know, what was his name, Wildebeest, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, yes. and Cyborg's like, yeah, they got your buddy, so take this, and if anybody comes after you, call us. Uh, Robin meets up with a fellow by the name of Bushido, and Raven meets Harold, right? The, the Yeah, the interdimensional guy with the trumpet. And, uh, oh, and Beast Boy starts climbing a mountain to go meet Jericho. Not of the Chris variety. And, uh, so, which would have been awesome. Yeah, I know. Just, yeah, Chris Jericho's just randomly sitting up at the top of the mountain. Yep. I, I could see him doing that. Yeah. Well, uh, once Beast Boy delivers his communicator, uh, he's like, can we go home now? And Robin's like, yeah. So the, the, the five portions of the ship, they, they start to head back for each other, but Brain, because uh, he's been monitoring this the whole time. He's been monitoring everything through that stolen communicator that they got when Robin gave it to Madame Rouge, disguised as Hotspot. Just as the ships are starting to get closer together, things start happening. Other Titans, like uh, Argent comes under attack by General, what's his name, General Immortus? Immortius, yes. something like that? Immortus, yeah. Yeah, she comes under attack by him and a bunch of his robots. Um, Cole and Gnark, they come under attack. Um, just everybody, everybody across the globe is, is being jumped and, uh, the Titans start to freak out and they're doing anything and everything they can to, to save their new friends. But ultimately it, it proves fruitless. You know, we see like uh, Bumblebee, she's falling, you know, from a great height, uh, being chased by what was his name? The, the, the guy from the shitty half episode. Oh the punk God. Guy. Simon. No, 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 that was Raven. That was Raven. Punk Rocket, Punk Rocket, yeah, yeah, and some other person we've never seen before, some winged girl. Um, I, uh, is this the? Yeah, we see a Cyborg fall down a hole. Um, Raven gets sucked into a portal. I don't remember what happens to Starfire. Um, Robin ends up seeing uh, who he thinks is Hotspot, but it turns out it's Madame Rouge. Uh, she gets his hands on him. She gets her hands on him and uh, brings him to the secret lair. And uh, the brain's all like, yeah, ha, 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 you lose. <laughs> and uh, thus ends this one. I mean, did I really leave anything out? No, not okay. not really. Okay, what are you thinking? Well, you know, I hate to reference any of the episode one through three Star Wars movies. <laughs> but I got to say, the last half of this episode reminded me a lot of episode three where all the Jedi are just systematically eliminated. Okay, I can see what you're saying, yeah. But, I mean, you know, this this episode is what it is. It It's a setup episode for the just the colossal fight that's going to happen in the next episode. Yeah. So it, there's, there's, a, there's really not a whole lot to say about this one. No, uh, this one really is all about that second half. Not the second part that we're going to get to in a little bit, but the second half. Mm -hmm. As you said, it's just the ramping up of the action and the music that accompanies it is is wild. It's so good. Yes. You can't help but sit on the edge of your seat as it's all going to hell for the Titans here. Yep. I mean, as each Titan drops one by one, Robin's just getting more and more frantic. And Robin 
you know, Robin's pretty cool, calm, and collected most of the time. Yeah. So that, it's pretty freaky to see that. And I loved the fight. The, even, even if it was only like 30, 45 seconds, the fight between Madame Rouge and him. Was oh, great yeah. stuff. Great stuff. Yeah, when he and, freezes her and then boots her right in the face and shatters her. Yeah, that is good. You know, I really wish Robin had like taken several chunks of her and just thrown it off the mountain. Yeah, <laughs> just, to see, just to see what happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. But anyway, but I mean, and he really does his he hit, he pulls his desperation card. He disables all of the communicators mm. by rewiring it, and then and right. it actually ends up hurting Brain, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, because he figures out. I mean, when I figures out, Madame Rouge tells him that pretty much tells him that's what's been going on. And uh, you're right. Yeah, he sends out that signal, which isolates all the Titans. But to what he has to do if he's going to save any of their lives. Yeah, I mean, at Beast Boy is when his communicator goes offline. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. just like Robin. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. so. But I mean, speaking of Beast Boy, really, why is he scaling the mountain as a goat when he can just turn to a flying creature? I will scratch off the very first note I wrote down. <laughs> <laughs> first note I wrote down too. <laughs> yeah, it's like a bird, you know, some sort of hawk or something. Yeah. Yeah. Bald eagle? <laughs> yeah, something. <laughs> Pretty sure bald eagles are used to cold temperatures. And considering he was in his ship, which can go into space... Yeah, where did the ship go? Yeah, why doesn't he fly to the top of the mountain, throw the communicator at Jericho, fly home, have his tofu burger, and just relax on the couch playing a stupid video game while the rest of the team is off doing their shit? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um... Oh. I should note that the, when Raven and Harold meet up, the Shadow Realm they're in is the exact same design as the one in Kid Stuff. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I didn't pick up on that. I do have a question here. This is kind of just an off-the-wall question, but Kitten, did she have that whip before? Or is this the first time she's had the whip? I think it's the first time she's had it. No, Killer Moth had it. That's his whip. Okay, so now Kitten's wielding it, right? Yeah, yeah. So... Because that might be a reference to a movie that was on Mystery Science Theater Theater 3000 called Kitten with a Whip. (laughs) Okay. I I don't know. I I know for a fact there is a movie that was on uh, MST 3000 called Kitten with a Whip. (laughs) That might be that. (laughs) (laughs) That's just weird. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just a couple of things I'd like to point out is uh, we get another reference to Donna Troy. When we see the compass of all the Titans, her face is there. Let's see. I find it interesting that at the end of the episode, we see all of the would-be Titans in the next episode. Harold, Jericho, Pantha, uh, Moss. Am I forgetting anybody? And Beast Boy. That's them, right? Right. Yeah. We see that they're all still free, thus hinting at who the team's going to be when we get to the next part. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Um, and what I also found interesting is Speedy, he's in the forest and he's getting chased down by uh, Cheshire. And what's interesting about that is in the comics, those two actually have a daughter together. Really? Yeah, they do. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know how often you go into the comic book section of the forums at Earth2.net, you know. But there was that whole thread I started called, like, What the Hell's Going On with Green Arrow or something like that. 
And it was all about how Speedy or Arsenal or Red Arrow, whatever they want to call him, lost his arm and his daughter was killed and all blah, blah, blah. The daughter that was killed is the daughter he had with Cheshire. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure that was a reference to them becoming a couple later on in their lives, at least in the comic book universe. And then, of course, as I said, having a daughter together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. A nice little nod towards a grander continuity than the DCAU, the original continuity, as it were. Um, so, yeah, let's see. Let's see. What else was I thinking about this one? Um, while I'm thinking, if there's anything else you want to add, feel free to jump in. No, go ahead. Okay, that was me trying to stall. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, I mean, I don't have any more notes for this. It's There's very few notes that can be taken on this episode, just because of what it is. Yeah, I, I would like to say, I, I think the ending of this is just... I wrote down epic ending, double underlined, double exclamation points. <laughs> I mean, just, you're like, how are they going to get out of this thing? You know, the brain has essentially won. He has Robin. He has captured Robin. The king. All, yeah, or... all, all that's left out there are Beast Boy, Jericho, Moss, Pantha, and Harold. Like, we've only seen, like, two of these characters before. One of them is a jokester. The other one doesn't have his powers because his brother's been captured. Yep. You know, it's like, whoa, whoa. And we don't know what's happened to the other Titans. We yeah. think they've potentially been caught because we saw one went into a portal, one fell down a hole. I, wh- what happened to Starfire? Oh, no, we just saw her get taken away by Kitten's moth. Yeah, she yeah. was completely surrounded by those hideous moth things. Yeah, we don't know where they went. Um, so that ending is just... Every time I see it, I just get chills, and I'm like, oh, yeah, because I know the next episode is just going to bring the action. It's such a wonderful cliffhanger, I think. I'd hope to find the Teen Titans, not this. I believe I will be better on my own. Devo encontrar a mi hermano. I guess I'll go back to my own dimension. Stop! Nobody's going anywhere. We have to stick together. I need all of you with me if we're going to stop the brain. And we are going to stop him. He has us on the run. That means the brain will never expect us to take the fight to him. Why should you be in charge? I've been fighting these guys longer than any of you. I know what we're up against. Look, this may not be the perfect team, but it's all we've got. We're the Teen Titans now. If we work together, we can accomplish anything. And following the last episode comes Titans Together. Uh, this one opens up with the brain, you know, just telling it like it is. Uh, the Titans forged their alliance, but in the blink of an eye, it came just crumbling down. Um, and as he's, you know, narrating this thing, we just see the Titans all over the world being taken down and captured. And the Brotherhood's plan all along was to eliminate an entire generation of heroes, and it's about to be realized. So, Brain's like, who will save you now? Suddenly, we see Beast Boy, who has taken out about a half a dozen sentries by himself, and he presses a trigger on that destroys something that was going to, I guess, allow the Brotherhood to track him. Um, I assume that it was the ship that he was traveling yeah, in. I, probably. Um since we did see that on, on Brain's map in the last episode. Um, after the title theme, uh, Beast Boy arrives at a secret Titan's outpost, uh, and Moss arrives shortly thereafter without his brother, and he is just distraught. You know, And 
Pantha arrives next, followed by Harold and Jericho. And you know, the rabble seems to not be very formidable, and they all prepare to just leave and go their separate ways. But Beast Boy is like, stop! You know, d- look, I've been fighting the Brotherhood for longer than any of you. I know what we're up against. And Beast Boy's like, look, what can each of you do? You know, none of their powers seem to be very helpful, but in the next scene, we see that they somehow lure Cinderblock into a trap that sees Jericho finally show what his powers are, since he's mute, and they didn't know what his powers were, except probably Harold probably knew what they were. Probably. But, uh, but Jericho takes control of Cinderblock by warping inside his mind and body, and, uh, Though, you know, like I said, Jericho can't talk in his own body. We find out that he, that Cinderblock apparently has vocal cords and he can talk through him. Um, so controlling Cinderblock, Jericho figures out that the Brotherhood's base is in Paris and Harold takes them there with his horn, which can warp reality and open up portals in space time. And, uh, Jer- Jericho makes it look like Cinderblock captured the other heroes and he just walks right into their base with all of them in tow. <laughs> It's actually pretty funny. Um, inside, uh, Robin is brought before all of the villains who are cheering on his very, very dire situation. Uh, we go back into the halls, and Pantha hears somebody coming, and they all jump back into Cinderblock's grasp. And one of the bad guys, I believe that's Private Hive, uh, says that they're about to freeze Robin, and Cinderblock needs to hurry or he'll miss it. And uh, Cinderblock's running behind him, and Private Hive's like, hey, nice catch there. And Jericho says, thanks. <laughs> Villains all stop, and they're like, uh, how did you talk? <laughs> so uh, Jericho jumps out of Cinderblock and into Private Hive and causes him to start punching himself in the face, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> stop hitting myself. Stop hitting myself. <laughs> so that's he's doing that while all the other makeshift titans and Beast Boy take out the uh, other lowly villains. So they reach the main hall. They burst through the door, which was an utterly terrible idea. Uh, they're all waiting. All the villains are waiting for them. Beast Boy sees that every one of the heroes have been frozen solid. Um, you now they start fighting just whatever they can do. And they they fight pretty valiantly, but, you know, they get taken down eventually. And uh, Madame Rouge grabs Beast Boy and prepares to freeze him like the rest of the heroes, but... All of a sudden, the floor starts to crumble beneath her, and Beast Boy's like, you might not want to stand there. So he turns into a hummingbird, uh, flutters away, and Cyborg bursts through the floor with Cole and Gnark. Starfire and Red Star burst through the ceiling, so we know Red Star survived. Uh, Raven teleports in with Melvin, Timmy, Teether, and Bobby. Yeah! (laughs) Yes! So from here, the real fight begins, and it's a damn good one. Uh, Moss manages to uh, free Manos which is a really cool little scene. Um, and they just start playing around with the freezing machine. They start freezing villains. So suddenly Kid Flash arrives on the scene uh, as the the Hive members try to escape uh, because apparently they've joined up with the Brotherhood. So Kid Flash is like, now's the time where you're probably thinking, man, I really shouldn't have joined up with these Brotherhood guys. <laughs> Told you so. <laughs> uh, so he cyborgs nearby and he says, "Sorry, I'm late. I had to pick up a friend." And we see that Jinx has made the face turn, yep. and uh, and she, <laughs> Kid Flash is like, "Yeah, you probably have some catching up to do." So he runs off to help the other heroes, and Jinx is like, eh, "Sorry, nothing personal." And then she just you know uses her powers on her former friends, <laughs> and uh, 
Kid Flash takes up the duty of throwing, placing, or otherwise dumping the fallen villains into the freezing device. Ooh, as rapido. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's, and it's great because he salutes Masi and, and Manos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it, that was it, and uh, that really was just great. Yeah. Um, so you know, one by one, the villains are taken down until only Mala and the Brain are left. Brain uses his trump card and activates a fusion bomb that will destroy the entire fortress. And he and Mala try to escape, but Beast Boy and Robin follow after them. Beast Boy tackles Mala, which knocks Brain out of his hands, uh, and. So he, Mala's like, Mala's furious here. So he starts attacking Beast Boy and they start fighting. Robin grabs Brain before he plummets to his grisly demise below. And, uh, they're, you know, eventually Mala's frozen. Brain gets frozen. The day is won. And, uh, so we go back to the tower and, you know, every one of the Titans are all there in the tower. They get an alert that Dr. Light is up to his usual shit. And so, Every one of the Titans heads off to stop him. See, now this is this is really good. See, this is how you do an almost all-action episode, in okay. my opinion, because it's just layered with emotion. I mean, it starts out with, you know, the brain just, like, giving it to Robin, just lording it over him that he and uh, all the young heroes have been bested. Who amongst you is going to stand against me or whatever? And then, boom, we cut to a pissed-off Beast Boy. Then Ma shows up at the secret base, and he's all sad because his twin brother is nowhere to be found. Um, you know, and again, just more frust- you know, more emotion, frustration from Beast Boy. All like, no, look, this team, it- it's not good, but we are going to do this. You know, and then when they get to the lair... And Mas realizes that Manos has just been frozen, and he's like, Manos. The would-be Titans, they get caught. And you're like, oh man, how are they going to get out of this? And then, you know, Raven, Starfire, Cyborg, they show up, and you're just like, yeah! And we get another poignant moment with Starfire and Robin. Robin's like, Starfire, mm-hmm. I can use a hand. Exactly, exactly. It's the, it's, the night, it's the final kind of romantic moment that they wanted to throw into the series proper, because of course we still have the movie to come. Before all this stuff... Cyborg's like, where do we start? And Beast Boy's like, I know where to start. He makes the beeline for for Brain. Yeah. And everybody starts knocking villains out of Beast Boy's path to, so he could get to the Brain. And yeah, most notably Raven, Starfire, and Cyborg. Yeah, exactly. And you just feel Beast Boy's anger at this guy. He's he's finally he's going to stop him no matter what it takes. He has been fighting for this guy, as he said in the earlier part of this episode, his entire life. And this is it. He, no matter what, he's taking this motherfucker down. And uh, so, again, just more emotion. This is what I wanted from Go. Lots of action, but tons of emotion. Tons of drama. And honestly, this episode's light on story. It's all yeah, it about is. characterization, the emotions of those characters, and them winning an impossible fight. So that's where I'm coming from with this one. What about you? <laughs> You've said everything I wanted to say. <laughs> Literally. But but I'm, I guess I'll just say again, with the, as regards to the, the makeshift team that Beast Boy has to lead, it's great. It, it, they they say, Beast Boy's like, so what can you guys do? And Panther's like, I am strong. Yeah. And Moss is speaking in Spanish and he, you know, he has no powers because he, he doesn't have his twin with him. And uh, 
uh, Harold's just like my my trumpet can open up rifts in space and uh, and Jericho just points to his eyes and because he's mute he can't say what his powers are and Beast Boy's just like eh, okay yeah. this is gonna be tougher than I thought <laughs> but <laughs> but it's great it, it it is awesome I'd loved I would love to have seen a few episodes with that team yeah yeah. I think it would have been very entertaining if nothing else. Yeah, this episode, if for most, you know, mostly a fight, big gigantic fight scene. This is a damn, damn good episode. Yeah. And and when Beast Boy, it, Raven's like, so does anyone actually have a plan? Hmm. And Beast Beast Boy's like, I do. We don't, you know, don't stop until we get the brain. Mm-hmm. And 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 Cyber's like, well, let's do it. <laughs> and they start <laughs> blasting the path for him. It's great. Yeah. Oh, and of course, when Melvin and Timmy and Teether and Bobby show up, that was like, <laughs> fuck yeah. Yeah. And I love when Raven is all like, okay, fine, but don't go after anybody that's older than you. Like, well, who yeah. are you going to fight then, you know? And then at the end, Bobby jumps in Mala's path. Yeah. You know, because didn't he hand Mala his ass in the previous? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, uh-oh. Like, remember me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, the, and what was great is Melvin is just on Bobby's shoulder with her her. Uh, head in her in her hand, just like hi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's up? Yeah. You know, I, I love Panther going. Who is next? Because uh, I'm like, that's got to be a reference to Goldberg. And who's next? Right? Wasn't that his line? <laughs> I yeah. I didn't watch much WCW. So. Okay, I didn't either. But you know, it was Goldberg, and yeah, everybody was talking about. Him, but I'm I'm pretty sure that has to be a reference to him. Let's see. You know, I I love Jinx showing up. With Kid yes. Flash and yes. every, you know, Cyborg's just like, I didn't see that coming. And then he tr- turns it to Control Freak, and he's like, Oh, and he just punches him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Jinx actually adds a lot to the fight because shortly after she shows up, Raven says, uh, "Is it me or is this getting easier?" And then I believe in the next moment we see some Jinx do something, and we have to remember what her power is that that yeah. she that she can. She influences stuff like that. She's supposed to be bad luck, and if she's on the good guy's side, then she's bad luck for the bad guys. Yeah, I mean, she she like long shot affects probability, right? Yeah. Um, and well, and what happens is, you know, uh, M- Madame Rouge shows up again, and she's like foolish, uh, foolish heroes. When we learn, and then uh, what what eventually happens is Jinx walks up to Madame Rouge and causes the ground below her to sink and she traps her in the floor to where she can't even with her stretchy power she can't get out of it and then they just kind of like stretch her all the way across and fling her into a wall Mm -hmm. it it was great yeah yeah now for all of the great things we can say about this episode there are some minor problems i have with it first and foremost is the animation isn't spot on throughout at a couple of points, the models are a little wonky. Um, it seems a little stiff. Um, I don't know if it's because there was so much going on that it was causing the animators like a little trouble. I, I, I don't know. But like the, the biggest example I can give is once the brain has unleashed the fusion device, Cyborg's kind of like leaning next to it. Starfire flies up, and right when she does that, he just kind of slides over like about a foot so she can get into the frame he doesn't step over he just slides 
Like they just shifted the frame itself. Yeah, the animation cell or something yeah. like that. I don't know. Yeah, so so there was that. I mean, it doesn't happen often, the, these minor animation problems, but they're there. Uh, there's another one where uh, Madame Rouge, she, she throws out her arms. Okay, actually, let me start over. She's standing next to Brain on that platform they're on, okay? She throws out her arms to grab Beast Boy, and when she, she pulls him towards her, but the second she starts to pull him towards her, she's actually standing on the same ground as Beast Boy. We never saw her step down. So, I mean, you could chalk that up to maybe that has something to do with her powers. You know, she stretched herself down there while she was pulling him forward, but we never see it. I mean, she's literally standing next to Brain, and then in the next shot, the background behind her changes, and so does the floor underneath her. She's just there. She's just teleported all of a sudden. And this one's very, very minor. Nothing I'm holding against it. I just find it a little weird that when the five would-be Titans burst into, you know, the big lair the door explodes. None of them have some sort of power that would cause that door to explode. <laughs> You're right. It should have just splintered. Like I said, I'm not taking a point off for that. <laughs> it's just one of those things where it's like, wait, Panther's strong. Moss can't do anything right now. Beast Boy's Beast Boy. Jericho, I don't know, he's what, he teleporting to the door? And Hannibal <laughs> could have teleported them beyond the door. But it just explodes in a fiery ball of fiery that didn't come out right. But still, <laughs> it's like, what the hell was happening there? Uh, it's, it's very Aqua Teen Hunger Force-esque. <laughs> yeah, just an explosion for oh, 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 you know what? And my biggest gripe, my biggest gripe with this episode, this whole season has been about Beast Boy and how he can be a serious hero. And I love the fact that he takes charge, that this is his team. He says Titans together. Uh, maybe he doesn't say. It. I know he says Titans go or something. You know, he's he's leading this. He's gonna do. He this. says Titans together. Okay, I, I thought he did. Thank you. And you know, he sees Brain. He's like, I know how we're gonna end this. You know, when I get my hands on Brain, and then when it comes to the end game, it's him and Robin, and Beast Boy. All of a sudden, is like, I'll go after the monkey. You go after the jar. What? This whole well, thing has been about Beast Boy stopping Brain. And all of a sudden, he decides to go after Mala and lets Robin stop Brain? I justify that because he stands a much better chance of being able to distract Mala than Robin does. No, no, no. I understand why. I understand what they were doing there. But at the same time, they were building to a final confrontation between Beast Boy and Brain, and it never happens. I mean, at that point, Brain isn't in his body anymore. He's left a little Dalek-y shell. And it's become a fusion device. And at that, I mean, at that point, it is just the, the upper jar with the brain. But he should, I mean, granted, yeah, he is the one that throws it into the freezer. He ultimately ends brain and then has that brain freeze joke, which I actually think is funny. Oh, I did though, too. Even though everybody, <laughs> including Gnark, cringes at it. I thought it would have been funny if Gnark laughed at it, though. But regardless. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he is the one that, that, you know, quote unquote, ends brain. But I just think he should have been the one that, 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 that grabbed the jar because this was all leading up to that. I get he had to be the one that stopped Mala of the two people that were there, but why couldn't Starfire and Cyborg taken on Mala while Beast Boy got the jar? That really I don't know. It just, didn't, it just didn't bother me like it did your, you, but I okay. understand why it did bother you. Yeah. Uh, what else do you think about this one? Mm, what else? I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I, I'm going to dote on this episode with all the great fights. 
Okay, okay, yeah. Dope, dope, dope. (laughs) (laughs) It should be noted that no mention of the connection between Jericho and Slade is made. Yeah. I mean, for those of you that probably a good thing. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, Jericho is Slade's son. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's nothing of it here. Nothing at all. Um, I mean, I'm glad they didn't add in, oh, by the way, that, that evil guy we used to fight that died and came back to life with, because of Trigon, this is his son. It would have been way too expositional. And it would have put a shadow of doubt over Jericho. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? So yeah. I know why they didn't do it. And I really do like the ending, where you see the five titans on the roof, and then it pans out, or you know, the camera pulls back, and we just see all the heroes getting ready to rape Dr. Light. Oh, oh, see what I did there? Oh. Yeah, I, I see what you did there. <laughs> I'm clever. <laughs> but, uh, no, I love that. And just, what, what do they say? He has no idea what he's in for. Or, no, he's going to freak. <laughs> yeah. And and Raven says it, which makes it all the better since right. you know, yeah. <laughs> she made him freak out the, the first time. Exactly. <sighs> Next time a creature goes down the sewer, I say we just let it go. Beast Boy, where were you? You guys aren't going to believe this. You better have a good reason for bailing on us. What was so important that you couldn't stay with the team? We could have used your assistance. Well? I saw Tara. Wow. When? I know. Isn't it great? I I saw her downtown. What did she say? I didn't actually get to talk to her. She was across the street. And when the creature attacked, she disappeared. You sure it was her? Oh, I'm totally sure. Maybe you just thought you saw her. Sometimes you want to see something that isn't there. I did see her. She was real, and her statue was gone. How could it be? The girl turned to stone. Perhaps one of Raven's spells? I tried everything I could. Nothing worked. And none of my chemical analyses ever led to an answer either. None of this is making any sense. It doesn't have to make sense. Tara's back. That's all that matters. It's the creature. We'll talk about this later. You may not care about her, but Tara's out there somewhere, and I'm going to find her. And the very last episode of Teen Titans is Things Change. In this one, the Titans have finally, truly returned home. I mean, granted, we saw them at home at the end of the uh, Titans together, but all their friends are gone. They've all gone back to their parts of the world. And the Titans, they're just walking around the city, exploring their old haunts. Well... You know, they want to go to the video store uh, to rent a movie, and Starfire wants some candy, but the video store is gone. And so is the bookstore where Raven used to shop, and so is the auto parts store, and all the, and potentially a toy store, or what what does Beast Boy say? It was a toy store, or a, what did he say? Uh, He rattles off a few, but I'm definitely sure it was some sort of store. You know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was like, yeah, that narrows it down. And, uh, you know, basically, Someone, you know, the Titans have been away for months, and someone bought up that block, and they're opening uh, office buildings. While they're standing there, the absorbing man, I mean, uh, some (sighs) random creature, uh, just pops out of nowhere, and we quickly learn that, you know, whatever he touches, he can become. He touches a steel girder, he becomes steel. Touches concrete, he becomes concrete, so on and so forth. And uh, the Titans are fighting him, and at one point, he throws a rock, and... uh, it, it lands in a crowd, and when the dust settles, Beast Boy looks over across the street, and he sees Tara. And uh, I believe that's how the first segment ends. We get the opening credits. 
come back. And uh, Beast Boy's torn. Does he help his friends fight this monster? Or does he go after Terra and try to talk to her? Um, well, eventually the Beastie, he gets soaked in water, so he becomes water. He goes into the sewers, and four of the Titans go after them. But Beast Boy's like, nah, uh I have to find this girl. And uh, he, he, she's gone. At this point, she, she's no longer in the crowd. So he goes to the cave where her statue, or her petrified self should be, and he's like, okay, I, I know you're still here. I know that wasn't you I saw in the crowd. And uh, she's not there. She's not. So Beast Boy's like, oh, my God, you are alive? And uh, so he starts to look for her, but he really isn't having a... You, you, you kind of get the gist that he's had a hard time finding her, but just by chance, he's, he happens to look across the street from where he's standing at one point, and uh, he sees her standing in a schoolyard. And uh, he tries to talk to her, tries to convince her to go out with him, not on a date, but just like, you know... Just, just talk to me. I, I know if I talk to you, you know, you'll remember who you are. Because she's insisting that she doesn't remember anything. Her friends cock block him, and Tara's all like, "No, no, no, I'll go with them." And uh, you know, they, they 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 try to talk. They they try to have some pizza, and Beast Boy just can't get through to her. You know, he brings her back to the tower. He still can't get through to her. Um, anything she once enjoyed, she no longer enjoys. Sleeping under the stars. Oh, my God, there's bugs. She doesn't like anchovy pizza anymore. Um, so at one point, they're standing uh, on the beach of the island that the tower is on. And Beast Boy's like, oh, I know. You can control the Earth. So he throws mud at her, thinking she'll use her powers to deflect it. Hits her in the face. She gets mad and runs off. Uh Beast Boy then, uh, and in the meantime, we see the Titans constantly tape chasing, not absorbing, man. You know, they're, they're getting nowhere with him. Beast Boy, he uh, goes back to Terra's school. No, 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 he, this is where he actually goes back to the carnival, right? To the uh, circus? Yeah. yeah, okay, mm -hmm. pardon me. He, he goes to the uh, that little, you know, circus, uh, the amusement park, where they had that, that date of theirs on the night that she turned on the Titans. And it should be said that earlier in the episode, he went to the the little diner that they went to and he flew past this amusement park and everything while well, he's back there uh, hoping to see her. And uh, in the house of mirrors, he sees Slade and Slade tells him, look, you know, I had nothing to do with this. And uh, if that is Tara, maybe she just doesn't want to remember. Maybe she doesn't want to have anything to do with you. And Beast Boy's not having it. So he violently attacks Slade um, their fight actually ends with Beast Boy turning into a T-Rex, chomping down on Slade, essentially killing him. And uh, if that didn't kill him, he, he runs full force into the uh, tracks of the roller coaster. It comes tumbling down on both of them. Beast Boy's okay because he's in dino form. When he shrinks back down, he sees Slade's body, but it turns out to be a Slade bot. Um, so he didn't kill Slade, but he would have, apparently. <laughs> and... Uh, so, yeah, then he goes back to the school, tries to talk to Tara, and uh, she just tells him, look, Beast Boy, you know, I, I don't know who you think I am, but I'm not her. And uh, one of the last things she says to him is, uh, things change. The girl you want me to be is just a memory. And uh, at this point, uh, Robin calls Beast Boy, and he's like, we really need you in this fight. And uh, Tara just kind of walks off in one direction, and Beast Boy runs in the other direction to go help his friends. He's realized that if, if this is Terra, he has to leave her alone. And thus ends the Teen Titans TV show. So what do you think about Things Change? 
This might be the worst series finale I have ever seen. Okay. And I I have seen, I saw the Seinfeld series finale <laughs> and the Married with Children series finale when they each originally aired. Yeah. And I'm saying this is worse than either of those. This episode never should have been made. Why was the episode made? To see Slade one more time? I mean, it, it wasn't even him. Uh, to see Tara one more time? Oh, no, it wasn't Tara. And the ending of this episode pisses me off to no, no end. It, it's not even an ending. The creature was kicking the Titans' collective ass even when Beast Boy was there in the beginning of the episode. So what was Beast Boy returning to the fight going to do exactly? I mean, honestly, I guess we just assume the Titans bit the dust. I mean, except <laughs> except for Robin, since he has to come back for his college years in BTAS. Um, and I, I, I love I love how Robin says, we need Beast Boy, when the creature gets set on fire. <laughs> what is Beast Boy going to do to stop it? And, I mean, it's really, it boils down to, you don't fucking end a series on a cliffhanger. You don't. Because they never show the Titans defeating, you know, not absorbing man. <laughs> I, I hate this episode. I absolutely hate it. What about you? I like this one a lot. <laughs> a lot. I understand why they ended the season with this one. It's just a little epilogue to the series as a whole. You know, mm -hmm. wrapping up a few loose ends. It, it shouldn't have ended the season. Definitely shouldn't have. But I think that this is a truly emotional episode. And because this whole season was about Beast Boy, it made sense ending it with a Beast Boy-centric episode. We saw his highs and lows, and this is truly a low for Beast Boy right here. Um, you know, he thinks he's found his great love again. Not just that, but a great friend. And she's lost to him. Um, I mean, there's a clue at the end that this girl, who's clearly not going by the name Tara anymore, um, knows that she was Tara. She says to him, I'm going to repeat the line, she says, things change, Beast Boy. The girl you want me to be is just a memory. She doesn't say, I'm not that girl. The girl you want me to be is just a memory. There's a mm -hmm. part of her that knows that she used to be this superhero-turned-villain, turned-reformed superhero she knows she did all that, she died, and she came back. Maybe her memories aren't completely intact. You know, she, she turned to stone and was died and was brought back. Something happened to her mind. And maybe she just wants to forget what she used to be because she, or she even says, I only remember being in high school. This is her. Um, I forget what the whole point of that was, <laughs> but... You know, I, I like the fact that at the end, they didn't have her go, oh my god, I do remember, and she's redeemed, and she joins Beast Boy in the fight. That she admits that, I don't want to be that person anymore. That's 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 done. That's over with. You know, this, to me, it's a very emotional episode that leaves you feeling empty. But not empty bad, empty good. You're, you're, you're cut to your core. Because this 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 girl, we, we grew to love and hate. And then love again because she stopped Slade. She's she's gone forever, and Beast Boy and we through Beast Boy have to accept that. I yeah I see what you mean there, and yeah you're right. It is a very emotional episode, and I think I would be able to accept this as uh, a a very emotional episode if not for just the just 
stupid framing story with the not absorbing man. I will 100% give you that. It's so poorly, poorly thrown together. It, and they never explain how they beat this thing. Yeah. You, you can't do that. You cannot end the series on what is essentially a cliffhanger. Yeah. Especially when they've shown that the Titans have no fucking clue how to stop this thing. I'm sorry, what were you saying? No, no, no. What I was going to say is, is I absolutely agree. The Titans, the four other Titans, I should say, they needed something to do. You know, this was a Beast Boy story. Right. And they couldn't use any of the previous villains because we just saw them all defeated. So they had to introduce someone new, just as if, just as they had to do in Go. But to introduce this random creature, and then, as you said, we don't see how the fight ends. You know, it's it's all it's all very weak. That part of the story really was just thrown in to give those other four to do and add an extra couple of minutes here and there. Yeah. Um, for me, it really does bring this story down a point or two. I think had. Robin got on the communicator and been like, Beast Boy, we beat this thing. We'll see you back at the tower later. And then that's when he realized, you know what, he has to let Tara go and he has to be with his friends. And then he left. I would have been much more satisfied with the ending. Because as much as I do like this one, the adding is, the ending, I should say, is a little unsatisfactory. On a completely unrelated note, uh, something something I would love to count off this episode for, but I, I feel guilty if I do, is... There are two Napoleon Dynamite references in this episode, oh, and wow. I hate that. I hate that movie so much. I can't even describe it. I've never even seen it. Um, be glad. Yeah. Um, the the character Napoleon Dynamite can be seen twice in the school halls, and there's there's a vote for Pedro sign above one of the lockers. Oh yeah, I saw that, and I didn't put two and two because even though I've never seen Napoleon Dynamite, I know the whole vote Pedro thing. Yeah, I didn't even put two and two together there. Wow. Okay. And and the seeing Napoleon is a very clearly a blink and you miss it thing because you it it he it, he's, he appears so briefly, but it's very clearly modeled after uh, John Heater. Something else I want to add is you know again yeah it turned out to be a Slade robot which is annoying. Slade just knows how to get into people's heads. I, I mean, that line that he says to Beast Boy, you're the one who's hurting her. Let her go. It's like, wait a minute. Slade is actually being rational. He's telling Beast Boy the truth. And not the truth to be mean, like he's done before, but the truth to just be like, look, this girl, has, what he's saying is this girl suffered. We have put her through hell, literally. And she's back. Let her go. Slade knows that's her. He knows it. And he's telling Beast Boy, don't make her remember this stuff. Yep. It's it's wild thinking that Slade is trying to be compassionate towards a girl he tortured and then who killed him. You'd think he'd want revenge on her, but no. He wants her to have peace. Maybe he's just he gained respect for her. Maybe. And he just laid into her when she was his apprentice. So yeah. he, he slapped her around and just beat her up, really. Yeah, yeah. So she stood up to him, and maybe he's gained respect for her. Maybe. Now, was it just me, or... And I'm asking you this for two reasons. One, you're my co-host, and you're the person <laughs> I'm talking to. But two, you, you have a broader knowledge of anime than I do. Was it just me, or was this, like, 
maybe not the most anime-influenced episode of the series, but one of the most anime-influenced episodes. Very much so. Again, I haven't seen a ton of anime, but they're just... I, I mean, it's not anything I can... I'm not... I, nothing I wrote down that I can mention here, but throughout this... I mean, I don't mean just once or twice. I truly mean throughout this entire episode. I kept going, that's 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 anime, that's anime. And I'm not complaining. I actually, I, I really did enjoy that. I like the fact that at the end of the series, they're like, you know what, let's really embrace our anime roots. <laughs> and I think the biggest anime, like, thing, I have no other word, that they brought in there <laughs> was that, you know, in the Eastern culture, not everything ends on a bright, happy, shiny note. Very true. You know, they very much accept that life fucking sucks sometimes and you don't <laughs> get closure. And that's what happens in this one. There's no closure for anybody, for even even us, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was enjoying that. Not the not closure, but the, the tr them truly letting their anime influence just shine here. And, of course, we're going to get a ton of anime references in Trouble in Tokyo. Exactly. But That'll be in two weeks. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say about this one? No, I, I think I've said what I need to say about it. Okay, then let's get to our scores. Let's see, light speed. I actually had this at a nine, but I lowered it to an eight. But I, I still utterly adore this episode. Okay, I'm going to give that one a six, which is kind of low, I know. Maybe I'll come back to this one in our retrospective, though. Uh, revved up. Two. And that, too, is solely for Red X's badass taking out of all the other vehicles. <laughs> that gets a three from me. Go. Uh, I'll give that a seven. This is another one I lowered. I had this at an eight. Your seven makes me feel better because I'm giving this one a six. I was fully <laughs> expecting to have the forms explode on me. But, hey, you're only one point higher than me. So, <laughs> yeah. Calling all Titans. I will also give that one a seven. That gets a seven from me. Titans together. Uh, gets an 8. Ooh, I'm actually going to give that one a 9. And I fully respect that, because it, it really is a very enjoyable episode. Yeah, I, I honestly think if they could have fixed the animation problems I had, and if Beast Boy would have been the one to have taken Brain down, this would have got a 10 from me. I could have overlooked the other minor problems I had with it. I might have some kind of subconscious bias against all action episodes, because this one really falls under that category. Yeah. But it's not impossible for me to give a 9 or a 10 to an all action episode, because I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to give one one episode at least in JLU that's like a, a non-stop action episode that, but who knows. Okay. And uh, then things change. I'm giving this a 3. Ooh, this will be, I think, our biggest gap ever. This gets an 8 from me. Patiently. We watched you all, waiting for our moment to strike. You forged your alliance. You trusted without cause. And finally, when you thought your world was safe, it fell apart before your very eyes. You are merely pawns in a game, and you have played your part perfectly. There is nowhere you can hide. And there is nothing you can do to stop us.
victory brings us closer to an even greater pride. The elimination of an entire generation of heroes. And we owe it all to you, Robin. Your network has been crushed. Your friends have no way to communicate or follow your commands. Together you may be formidable, but apart, you are lost, powerless, mine. You will fall one by one. Who among you can possibly stop me now? Now try and follow me. Feedback in the form of emails can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Our voicemail number is 731-WFP-WFP0. 731-937-9370. And don't forget about our store, which can be found at earth2.net slash store. That's earth-2.net slash store. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss Teen Titans Trouble in Tokyo. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Music